Okay. Bow your heads with me. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for how you have brought us here, Lord, together. Lord, we are here by your mercy and by your grace, Lord God. And Father, as we celebrate in this country this day, Father's Day, we want to acknowledge you as our Father, again, whom by your mercy and your grace, Lord, you have taken us in. And we praise your name this morning, God. We thank you. Father God, as we get ready here to open up your word, I pray, Lord God, that your word would fall on fertile hearts, that your word would bear fruit, that your word would be heard in spite of me. Lord God, may your name be glorified. May you be exalted this morning. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm feeling a little bit of pressure here. Rookie speaker, this quarter two. But we're going to go at it. I'm confident in what God has given me to share with you as a church and especially with our men this morning. I'd like to begin with just kind of making a few statements. First one being, at the heart of being a father is a proper understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that He has saved us for something greater than just forgiving us of our sins. The gospel does offer forgiveness, redemption, and even restoration. But the gospel is about living for Him, Jesus, the one who died. He is Lord and He is Savior. And this new life must be learned by us. Our status as a justified people is immediate upon our belief in Him. But the process of sanctification is an ongoing process. And we as fathers, we play an intricate role in that process. It's a tricky role as fathers because we're sinners. And our children, for all that they share in common with us, DNA, physical traits, mannerisms that they pick up along the way as they observe us, they share with us our sinful nature. The Bible teaches us in Romans 5.21, That sin came through one man and it spread to all men. And the evidence of sin in a child is evident as early as they're able to express themselves. Particularly with two words. Mine and no. No one has to teach them that one. And this selfish and rebellious spirit is evident at a very early age in our children. And sometimes parents have asked, I know that We've asked when we've uh, seen these displays when they were young, where did they learn this from? And it comes natural because it speaks to their fallen nature. 
or better said, it speaks to our fallen nature. And for all that we want our children to know and pass on to them, nothing is more urgent than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can bring up children to be responsible, law-abiding, respectable toward all fellow men, successful, positive, and productive contributors to our society. But the Bible teaches us that what does it profit a man to gain the world yet lose his soul? And this speaks to the heart of the matter to us as fathers and how we are to bring up our children. Before I continue, because this has been on my mind the whole time, I just want to acknowledge our single moms out here. I want to give a shout-out to you. And I found a shout-out in the Bible. Though the Bible speaks to men in a very specific way as to their role in the parenting process, you have played and you play a very important role in the raising up of your children. And I just want you to be encouraged because he is faithful. God is faithful and God is with you. And even though this is not the way he designed it to be, meaning he did not mean for you to carry this load alone, again, he's with you. And we see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, where Paul gives a shout out to Lois, Timothy's grandmother, and Eunice, his mother. He speaks of Timothy's sincere faith, but a sincere faith that was first evident in the life of this single mom. You too can have an impact on your children, but your faith must be firmly planted on Jesus. I, just, I want you to be encouraged. And one more word for you, single mom, and it's found in Isaiah 54, verse 5. To your maker, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the, only, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole world, he is called. Be encouraged, my dear sisters, by this word and by the example given to us in Timothy 1.4. Now back to you, men. God has given us a very simple instruction, yet very profound in its effect. And I want to encourage you, but I want to use the word exhort. I want to exhort you this morning with this instruction, men. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. God's Word says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Pretty straightforward. What does this mean? In part, it means that we must recognize that God is the Father from whom, from whom every family is named. It says in Ephesians 3.14. And this speaks to the sovereignty of God and that He created the family and that He has defined our roles as men in the lives of our children. And there is no role 
in our society today that suffers from greater neglect than that of the father and the effect of this neglect is far-reaching in our society and as a policeman throughout the years I have seen it I have been in many homes I have been into many homes where domestic disturbances where kids have run away I've had to arrest many juveniles because of their age classified as juveniles and what I've seen firsthand as a common denominator in all these homes is the absence of father in their homes and even for the fathers that are there they're just there in body but their presence is not known there and Ephesians 6.4 speaks to that mothers who have been left alone to bear the burden by themselves a burden again that they were not meant to carry and some of you who are teachers, counselors, our pastors here, others who are involved in different types of social work, you can attest to what I'm saying. We all know this to be true. This is nothing new. God has given us as men an incredible responsibility, but also an incredible privilege of imitating Him as Father. He has placed upon our shoulders as men the responsibility of fatherhood. And today as we look at this text, We'll be looking at three things. We'll be looking at the responsibility of a gospel-centered father. We'll be looking at the accountability of a gospel-centered father. And we'll be looking at the possibility of a gospel-centered father. So we begin. And it simply begins as a word to fathers. The responsibility in the raising of our children belongs to both parents But the man is the one who is to take the lead in this. Fathers, as used here in verse 4, is specific to men, is directed to us as men. Fathers. I kind of found an illustration that I thought, I've always liked it, I never never thought I'd use it in this way, but I want to share it with you so as to make the point here, because... It's pretty cut and dry. President Truman on his desk, he had a, like a nameplate, but it it wasn't his name that was on it. It was a sign that read, the buck stops here. And he used it several times uh, in his um, different speaking engagements or as he addressed the nation. But in 1953, he used it in his farewell speech. And he referred to this concept very specifically in asserting that the president, whoever he is, has to decide. He can't pass the buck to anybody. No one else can do the deciding for him. That's his job. And men, when it comes to the raising of our children, the buck must stop with us. God's word speaks very clearly in this passage And we see it in the text, and we also see it somewhere else in the Bible, in the life of Joshua, in chapter 4, verse 15, where Joshua speaking and addressing the people of Israel, he says, you must choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We can't put this on our wives. 
We can't put this on our schools. And we can't even put it on the church. Though we stand behind you, it is not the church's responsibility to raise your children. It is ours as men. Because the responsibility has been given to us. And that's the first step in being a gospel-centered father. It's us owning it. It's us accepting our call from God as fathers. The second part of this verse reads, Do not provoke your children to anger. This text is also specific, not only in who us as men, fathers, but what we are not to do. We are not to provoke them. What does this mean? This means that we are not to abuse the authority that God has given us as fathers. As fathers, we lay down rules, we set boundaries, we set standards for the good of our children. Yet they still get angry at times, don't they? That's not what the Bible's talking about. And I'd like to offer an example from my life and child's life as we raised our kids. We set a lot of rules. But one in particular, I think even before they were born, we used to talk about these things. Maybe when she was pregnant with Jesse, we would just think about the future. And we decided long ago that our children, male, female, were not going to date until they get to a certain age. And that was it. We decided that a long time ago. Now, one of my children, he or she, to protect the identity, decided to challenge that one day. We stood our ground. We explained, and that was it. I went as far as telling the other person on the other end, if you call my house again, I will be talking to your parents. I know who you are, and I know where you live. We worked it out. We worked it out. Again, this is not what God is talking about when he talks about us not provoking our children. Because the truth is that rules, right, boundaries, have a way of causing our rebellious spirit to rise. Don't do this, they do it. Don't touch that, they touch it. Don't eat of the fruit, they ate of the fruit. But what the text is referring to again is for us not to be harsh, even when we, when we mean well. How are we harsh? I'd like to offer a few examples and just read them off. We could be harsh with our attitudes. We could be harsh with our words. These attitudes and actions, they can drive our children to angry frustration, resentment, severe discipline, unreasonable, harsh demands, abuse of authority, unfairness, constant nagging, condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation. Quick to point out faults. Always critical. How about the absent fathers? Fathers too busy with careers or hobbies. Hypocritical fathers. Demanding things that they do not demand for themselves. When we provoke our children to anger men, Colossians 3.21 tells us that we discourage them. We can crush their spirit. And Paul in this passage, he's not exhorting men to exercise their authority. Because that's assumed in the way Paul is talking here. It's assumed what he's given us is boundaries, right? He's given us boundaries to set 
for its use. And its use is specific. This authority that God has placed on us as men is to bring up our children in the instruction and fear of the Lord. This leads us to the third point in the responsibility of a gospel-centered father. This authority that God has given us is for a purpose again. And that purpose is seen in the last part of this verse. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the need for this command to be understood is critically urgent, especially now in our time. In short, we live in a world where I believe more than ever there are no moral absolutes. Everything is to be tolerated except Christianity, of course. God is irrelevant or he's just one of many versions. But before we go into the command, I want to pause and just take a closer look at the beginning of this last part. Where it says in verse 4, bring them up. And this bring them up, it sets the stage for how we are to discipline and instruct our kids. Children, the Bible says, are a heritage of the Lord. They're a gift from God. Psalm 127 And what this simply means is that our children have been given to us by God to raise them up for Him. Bring them up carries with it a meaning of of loving, nurturing, and tenderness. This speaks to that we are to bring them up lovingly, that we are to bring them up nurturing, and we are to bring them up with much tenderness. And I don't know about some of you guys, I, I think... I just remember hearing those words and always associating them with women. And I think that many of us still do. But when you take into consideration the text that this is coming from, and this is the meaning, this, is not, this has not been subject to what I think it means. We are to bring up our children, and it's, it carries these meanings, and is directed to us as fathers, as men. These are not traits of a woman alone. These are characteristics, these are traits of a man. These are the characteristics and and traits of a gospel-centered man. And this is how we are to bring up our children, men. Loving them, nurturing them with tenderness. This that Paul is talking about here is a fruit of the Spirit, of the living God, living inside of us. This instruction to not provoke but to bring them up creates the balance for proper discipline and instruction. Would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if I may add that last part, it's do not provoke, but bring them up. Bringing them up, as I've described it, is the opposite of what provoking looks like. Even when we have to discipline our kids, and we have to because we're raising up sinners just like us. Our responsibility as as gospel sinners' fathers is to raise a godly generation. 
And we see that in the passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But we see in the opening verse that has been read already that God commanded Moses to teach this to the men of Israel to teach their children, their sons, in verse 2. And your sons' sons, by keeping all these statutes and all the commandments which I command you all the days of your life, so that it may go well, it says in verse 3. And this is what we are to teach our children, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Our responsibility is to bring up, to raise up a godly generation. And just in summary, we are to teach them two things. That the Lord is one. And this is not speaking as to the unity within the Trinity. But this is simply saying that He alone is God. And that there is no other And that we are to worship Him. And He is holy. The Lord is one. And secondly, to love God with all their heart, soul, and might, we are to teach our children. See, this God who is one, He requires total love and devotion. And as I stated earlier, But I'd like to change it somewhat. Is that we're raising sinners, just like us, I said. But I'd like to rephrase that. We are a redeemed sinner washed by the blood of the Lamb, raising young versions of the first Adam who brought death and introducing them to the second Adam who brings life. And brings life abundantly. This is what it means to bring up children in the instruction of the Lord. Though we all, like sheep, have gone astray, God in His loving kindness has made a way through His Son Jesus that through faith in Him we may enter into an eternal fellowship with Him. In Deuteronomy we see God through His prophet Moses instructing Israel's fathers what they are to teach their children and their children's children. What an opportunity for us as fathers who are grandparents and for those of us who one day will to continue on this legacy, raising a godly generation. We see God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And we see the same in Ephesians as Paul so eloquently describes our deliverance from the grip and condemnation of sin And what it means. Again, we are saved for more than just a washing of our sins. We are saved to live for Him who died. For His glory. 
I'd like to read through Ephesians a little bit. Not, I'm going to jump around a little bit, so please bear with me. Just to kind of stress what, we're, what we are to teach our children. Beginning with chapter 1, uh, we see in this chapter, we see the Trinity at work together in perfect unity. We see God the Father, we see God the Son, and we see God the Holy Spirit at work. And we see God the Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We see that God the Father, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. We see that God the Father in love has predestined us for adoption. And He's done this through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we see that in Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We see that through Christ, from God the Father, we have obtained an inheritance. We see that we have been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. We see in verse 18 that He has called us. Beginning of chapter 2, He has called us though we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sin. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive with Him in Christ. Why? Because we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 6.4 hinges on these three chapters. We were created for something more than just earthly success. To live the American dream. We, we, were, we, we were created for so much more. And this is what we are to teach our children that we were created for the praise of His glory, that we were saved for the praise of God's glory. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm beating down anyone's efforts for our children to be successful, to do well in school. I want that for my kids. And God wants us to want that for our kids. But there's so much more because even all that will end. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about God sending His Son to restore what He has originally designed. And I don't get all of when you read through the Bible and you see this wonderful thing that He has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. But it is what it is and it's pretty straightforward. It's unclear on some things, but He's very clear on others. And He's very clear how we are to raise up our children, men. But this must be our experience first. This is what we're called to teach, and it must be a result of your faith in Christ. Deuteronomy, one more time, Uh, As we refer back to it in chapter 6, verse 6, it reads, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And there is so much in here. This speaks of God's covenant love with His people. It shall be in your heart first. You can only teach, you can only take them as far as you've gone. 
This is how we walk worthy as fathers, men. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. At the heart of our role as fathers is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our responsibility. This is our calling. The buck must stop here with us. I'd like to read as to the accountability of a gospel-centered father uh, a quote that I found, and it just seems really appropriate because of time, but I think it communicates. And it reads like this, Children are a blessing from the Lord. Again, from Psalm 127. As with all blessings, there is accountability. Fathers must realize that the Spirit gave this charge regarding our children to us. He did not give it to the mother, though their role is absolutely necessary in its carrying out. He did not give it to the daycare. He did not give it to the babysitter. He did not give it to the nanny. He did not give it to the grandparents. Nor did he give it to the church, the school, or the youth program. He gave it to the fathers. Therefore, fathers will bear the accountability, the consequence for failing to carry it out, or the reward for doing so. And as we conclude, this brings us to the possibility of a gospel-centered father. We've looked at the responsibility and accountability of a gospel-centered father, And we end with the possibility of a gospel-centered father. In Ephesians 6, 4, it speaks of this possibility. We see it there. For the end result of those who follow this instruction of the Lord is wellness. It also speaks of creating a strong bond between a father and his children. The possibility of a happy, well-adjusted child who will grow, who will love God and love their families. It speaks of the possibility of spiritual men leading spiritual homes in a spiritual way that brings up spiritual children. And most of all, it speaks of the possibility of heaven for fathers and for their children. And this is ultimately what it's all about. And I'd like to read uh, to you Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12, verse 13, where it says, The end of that... The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I want this to be an encouragement to you men. We all fall short. None of us are perfect. It's been a rocky road. I don't stand here because, hey, I've raised them, they're almost out the door. I did my job and I did it well. I'm here by the grace of God. And my kids sit here by the grace of God. It's His working through us. All you need, all you need to raise children is a heart for the Lord. Cultivate and develop a relationship with Him. Because in the end, that's what you're going to give them. You're going to share with them your interaction. You're going to You're going to be able to pick this up and read through it. I want to exhort you young men with babies that were standing up here. Pray. If there were two things that I would draw from the whole of Ephesians, as I look at Paul who preached it and how many times that he stopped to pray, that we would grow, that our our hearts would be enlightened, that we would have the spirit of wisdom 
that we would be able to share this wonderful truth that God has given us. There is nothing more important and nothing more critical. I can almost care less, almost, I can almost care less what my kids would do as far as careers, but that they would love the Lord and that they would serve Him, that they would worship Him. That's what I want for my kids. There's nothing more There's nothing more important. There's nothing greater. And that's what we've been called to do. That's what's been entrusted to us. That's what we're going to be held accountable for, men. And I want to just address one more group of people that as I worked through the text and I prayed, a reminder, again, it's there. We're not going to be judged We're not going to be held accountable for the outcome of our kids because in the end, you kids, it's going to be your decision just like it was mine, just like it was your parents. And for those parents that have raised their children in the fear of the Lord and it seems like they haven't gotten it or you haven't seen the fruit, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Keep planting the seed of God's word into them. Because in the end, it is God, through His Holy Spirit, that would cause the fruit to grow. Do not lose heart. Do not let go. Do not stop praying. Pray always. I remember praying over child's belly four times. I remember coming home from work in bad days when I would see nasty things and while my kids were sleeping, I'd kneel beside them and pray. Not only because of what I saw, but because I knew I needed Him. I needed His help. I needed His grace so that I wouldn't be overbearing on my kids because of what I saw and beat down the truth of God's Word into them. Can't do that. And sometimes we have a tendency to do that for as well-meaning as we are because of fear, because of what we see, because of what we know to be true. Instruct them and teach them and pray. Always pray. I want you to be encouraged, men. I want you, as we leave here today, that you would go home and celebrate the heritage that the Lord has given you. But I also want you to think about some things, men. If there's a strain in your relationship with your children, make that your first priority. This day is more than just about us. We celebrate fatherhood, but as Christians we celebrate fatherhood as something that has been given to us by God to do. And that alone, in and of itself, is a privilege. It would be nice to get the gifts, but there's nothing greater and there's nothing more important, men. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. And if you don't know how to do it, pray and ask God to show you. Take a step of faith in that direction to mend the relationship. Again, the only thing that you have to know as fathers to qualify you in the instruction of the Lord is to know Jesus. So I have to ask, do you know Him? 
Or are you like the prodigal son, have lost your way? Well, he's here. He's here today, waiting for you to come back to him. I'm going to ask the prayer counselors to come forward. And I'm going to ask you men, don't, don't leave here today without asking for prayer. It doesn't have to be up here. You might grab someone that you know and just have them pray for you. Have them pray with you. And for the men that are walking, the men that are raising their children in instruction and fear of the Lord, and I stand up here as, as a privileged one because I belong to a church here at Salem years ago where I saw that in men. And I thank you for your faithfulness. What an opportunity for us as men to disciple other men. And you young guys... Don't just sit around waiting for someone to ask you because the ball's on your court. Come to us. Let's talk. Let's pray. Ask. It doesn't have to be something long, uh, drawn out and, and, and complicated, simple. But what an opportunity for us as men to come alongside other men and disciple them and to share with them what God has shown us in His Word in our failures and in our successes, but the foundation, His Word. I guess that's it. Happy Father's Day, men. Would you pray with me? Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, we thank you that we can call you and know you as our Father. Our Father who is in heaven, we give thanks and we praise your name. Thank you for the privilege you have given to us to be fathers. Fathers, forgive us for the ways in which we come up short. Thank you for your grace that not only forgives us, but it also enables us to be godly fathers. Thank you for the hope that we have in you, who has begun a work that will be completed to the praise of your glory. Thank you that we have in you the perfect model of a father. Help us as we study your word. Give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. Enlighten our eyes so that we may know the hope to which we have been called and that the result may be a walk that is consistent to the call so that we may model a gospel-centered life as well as teach it to our children. Bless and strengthen our single moms, God. Bless and strengthen those who have been hurt by their fathers. May they find healing, comfort, and hope in you. Our Father, we thank you this day. We thank you for this time in your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.